Sales Tuners, Episode 46, Cody Layman's Head of Sales at Tiny Pulse. We would ask reps, hey, you need to be out finding new business and, and hunting with spears and bringing it into the business. And we would force them and put big metrics on them and goals to go do it. And then we'd give them an inbound lead. And they're like, well, you also want me to respond to the inbound lead within five minutes. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Vince Lombardi, who said perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. On today's show, I'm joined by Cody Lehmans, head of sales at Tiny Pulse, an employee engagement and performance management platform. Early in his career, Cody intentionally moved laterally across organizations, taking roles in finance and operations with the intention of learning and becoming more well-rounded. He self-proclaims to be in the top 1% of all sales leaders with regards to his Microsoft Excel skills, and that's after telling his college professor that he would never take a job in sales. Before we dive in, I have a favor to ask. Your ratings and reviews on iTunes are the single biggest way I've found to grow the audience for this show. So for the next week, I want to give away something again. For any listener who posts a review and sends me an email saying they did it along with a screenshot, they'll receive a free month of Read It For Me the number one business book summary service for entrepreneurs and sales leaders, and something I've been a paying customer of for well over a year. Unfortunately, Apple doesn't make this process very easy, so I've created a quick how-to that you can find at salestuners.com slash review. Once you're done, just shoot me a note with your screenshot to jim at salestuners.com, and I'll get you your free month of read it for me. I really appreciate these reviews, guys. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 46. But now let's get to the conversation where Cody shed some light on his side hustle, a passion for woodworking and how he created a children's furniture company called LMNOP to fill a void for his daughter. Yes, I have a a passion for woodworking. I had an uncle who was a a master furniture maker on my dad's side, and I had uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was a carpenter and and built a lot of homes. So it's it's in my blood, uh, and and that's my that's my hobby and a passion of mine. And it's really where I uh, go to de-stress and kind of get away from from everything else. So you know, LMNOP was you know something I started on the side when I. had a different job. I was in sales operations and I was able to work from home. So the the hours were a little bit more manageable and I had more time to get out there. And I, I wish I still do. But unfortunately, while the business still technically exists and uh, I still love to get out there, I don't do it as much as I once did. But it is a, uh, a fun passion of mine, something that I enjoy doing. And it was um, spurred out of my first daughter, um, you know, being born and she got older and reached toddlerhood. Uh, she needed just a different set of furniture that we weren't prepared for. So I, I figured I'd start start making it myself. Um, my first daughter's name is Ella. And uh, when I was trying to teach her the, the alphabet, you know, Ella 
M-N-O-P, you know, kind of gets ran together and L-M-N-O-P. And it just so happened that her name was Ellen. It worked. So uh, yeah, that's the, that's the backstory. That's so fascinating. I love that. I, I had no idea, you know, that your daughter's name was Ella, but that you're right. The L-M-N-O-P, I've got a three-year-old little boy. So it all goes together. It literally is L-M-N-O-P. Like that is the thing. So I love it. Great name. So no chance of this ever becoming full-time. You know, maybe someday, right? But I, I love what I'm doing at Tiny Pulse, and I love working with, with people and, and what we're doing here. And, um, you know, if, if the opportunity ever presented itself, uh, I would surely entertain it. Um, but at the at the same time, um, I, I'm not exactly, um, you know, married to the idea of, of going out and doing it full time. So I really don't. I try to, I try not to put expectations on it, and I always kind of have the position of let's let's see where it goes, and let's see where our life's at, and what's right for us, and. If that opportunity is, is the next best thing for, for the family, then uh, we'll go do it. Well, you're making these transitions easy for me today. So, uh, Cody, as you know, in this show, we do talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. So let's start talking about your sales process today. What is Tiny Pulse and how does someone decide to buy from you? So as you said, Tiny Pulse is an employee engagement platform. We, we like to think of it as a, a talent potential solution. So that what that means is we want to work with companies to give them the tools to allow their employees to reach their true talent potential across their entire employee lifecycle at a company, from hire to retire. So to do that, we have a platform that allows leaders to collect real-time feedback and insights from their employees, report on those insights, and then use them to improve culture, morale, productivity, and ultimately both top and bottom lines. So what does that sales process look like? How does someone get a hold of you? Like, What does that look like today? Historically, and, and still the, the biggest driver of our business today is, is through the inbound channel. Uh, we get a you know, series of uh, you know, inbound leads daily, and those first flow to a sell, sales development team, which is not uncommon. And that's where the initial qualification happens. And through that qualification, you know, it's, it generally results in either starting a trial or doing a demo. And fr- from there, that's when the lead goes from lead to a sales qualified lead into an opportunity over to an account executive who will then take it through the rest of the sales process to close, uh, usually, you know, originating with a trial or a demo and and then continuing down the path from there. Well, I know we'll get into more specifics of that uh, here in a bit, but take me way back, Cody. How did you even get into sales? You know, I was nearing a graduation and as I mentioned, the football thing didn't work out. I was really wondering, you know, what, what do I do next? And uh, I didn't have uh, any great plans, and um, I applied to a company, went for the interview, and what I found out is that this company sold like cheap little Chotsky type stuff, and they had people who got in their cars, and they went and drove out into the rural communities outside of Spokane, Washington, and just walked into business and tried to sell squirt guns and all this, you know, whoopee cushions and different stuff. And I had to spend a whole day driving around with two people that I had no idea who they were, where we were going. Um, and as I got back from that day, I was like, if this is sales, I'm never doing sales again. And that's when I was meeting with, uh, Craig Hinnenkamp, who was my organizational behavior professor. And I said, I am never doing sales. Like that's not my cup of tea. I'm not going to run around and sell squirt guns for the rest of my life. So roll it forward, uh, you know, a couple days, I had a friend who went down the hill from the campus at Whitworth and interviewed for a company called Thriva, who was. Um, you know, early, early startup, you know, five employees started by a couple of kids out of Stanford and UW. Ultimately, they decided to uh, offer both of us and I took the job. And from there, the, the rest is kind of history. So I started as an individual contributor selling to um, summer camps, selling online registration and camp management software. 
and um, you know the the traditional six you know six week sleep away summer camps um, was where I started, and then I quickly realized through my athletic background that hey, all these universities also have summer camping um, camps going on at the athletic departments. You went from I'm never going to spend my life selling squirt guns to 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 one of the first companies really that kind of got into the SaaS space, right? Like it, it really wasn't an existing market yet. Like how did you go from this is never going to happen to, okay, yeah, I'm going to join this company that my buddy introduced me to? It was, hey, I, I need a job and just somebody give me an opportunity and I'll do it, right? Um, and I don't think I was thinking necessarily what I was getting into. I definitely didn't know anything about SaaS or what it even meant and that it was an, an emerging you know, field. Um, and I kind of just said, all right, well, this is the opportunity and this is what they're asking me to do. I'm a pretty confident guy and I think I can figure it out. So I'll go take a swing at it. But you had some very early success there. I mean, you were one of the company's highest booking reps very, very early on with no sales experience. Was there, was there a training system in place that really got you prepared for sales or were you just kind of winging it? You know, a lot of it was, was winging it. Um, I mean, we had a homegrown CRM system and I, I remember, you know, I had the thought like, man, why don't we like turn the CRM into a, into a SaaS platform? And they're like, well, you know, like Salesforce, like true 2000 was just coming to be right. Or sorry, it was 2004 at that time. Um, so, so anyways, yeah, I, I had no clue what I was doing. So as far as like training, you know, it, it largely started with sitting on the phone with the CEO, uh, a guy named Matt Ehrlichman, who to this day is a very, very close friend of mine, um, who he's gone on to start, you know, porch.com and become very successful. But I, I literally would sit next to Matt and he would do his demos and he would make his calls and um, he was a tireless worker and he'd call all day long. And I think that's where I learned, okay, if you're going to be in sales and make this thing work, you got to have some strong work at work ethic behind you. Um, and really through that, um, that's how I learned. And, and he wouldn't let me get on the phone until I cold called him and took him through a demo and got him to a close. So he made me go through the entire process. And one of the things that it's just kind of coming through to this is like, you have this attitude about you that you're just going to do what needs to get done. Right. And like, tell me more about like, what, how is that the college football that came out? Like, where did that come from? At Thriva, I did it by going over and just creating the vertical with selling to university athletic camps. Once we got acquired by Active Network, I did it by, you know, really teaching myself Excel and in, in creating a, you know, a metrics tracking document that, you know, everybody could get their calls loaded into it and it would track everybody's activity and end up getting adopted, you know, organization wide. And one of the cool parts of that is that it would actually allow, you know, reps to say, hey, like, here's my here's my conversion from calls to demos and demos to closes. And, and, and it would have all their conversion metrics. So people started to use it to work backwards and say, OK, well, if I make this many calls and it converts to this many demos and it converts to this many closes, closes and at this dollar amount, here's how much commission I could make. And so it kind of just took off on its own and, and kind of spread through the organization as a tool that we were using. Um, now, obviously, technology quickly caught up and that became obsolete, but it was just another area where I saw an opportunity and I went for it and it worked out. Um, you know, here at Tiny Pulse, I was got here in January of 2016 and um, within, you know, six months of being in the business, I kind of took over all of our FP&A and a lot of our modeling and, and what does our 2017 plan look like and, and built out models for, you know, new bookings and renewals and if somebody pays by credit card versus invoice and what does the AR schedule look like? It's a pretty complex model, but it's, it's all just understanding like where where does the business need my help? And that's what I love about startups. And that's why I ultimately left active because it went IPO and then it, 
you know, went private equity. And it's like, just this big company thing isn't for me. Like, I want to be somewhere where I can do cool stuff and tackle big problems and be creative and, and have an impact and, and, and really do really cool things, right? You leave the security and success and resources of the big company to get back into the startup space because you just love being able to be nimble and learn new things and fix new things. So talk to me about now what you're doing at Tiny Pulse. You said a lot of the business that you have still is inbound, but how are you guys opening up new opportunities the other way? It's been a, a, a big learning curve and we're still learning and we, we still got to get much better at it, but it is starting to produce some results for us. So we have three account executives that are just focused outbound and then they're supported by five sales development reps. Now we've, we've, gone back and forth on how do we do this. We've changed it many times. And there was a point in time where our sales development team, every person, every sales development rep would get inbound leads and outbound leads. And, and it worked, but what we found out is that it was largely a distraction because we would we would ask reps, hey, you need to be out finding new business and, and hunting with spears and bringing it into the business. And we would force them and put big metrics on them and goals to go do it. And then we'd give them an inbound lead. And they're like, well, you also want me to respond to the inbound lead within five minutes, right? So it just became a, a, a distraction. They didn't know to really where to prioritize and focus their time. So then we kind of split it up and said, okay, now we have true inbound and we have true outbound. And that's the structure that we're running with today. And now our, our current iteration is we're really trying to go down the path of account-based sales development. How do we take a target number of accounts that we think are in our firmographics, it's a niche focus, and how do we go deep and wide and be highly personal with each one of those accounts? You clearly have adopted the entire you know, specialized role uh, of methodology that's out there or philosophy, I guess, that's out there. But you, when you started in sales, it wasn't that way, right? You were, as you, I think you called it, a full stack individual contributor and you did it all. I know you talked about focus, but why is it so critical that we have that special or that you have that specialized role for these reps? It allows you just to eliminate variables, right? So I can sit down with an outbound sales development rep and we can coach and we can talk about very specific things that will improve his ability to work outbound. And inbound, it's a different game. Like those people, they're seeking us. They want to talk to us, right? So I'm working with them on like, hey, are you understanding, you know, you know, Bant, right? And I know there's a lot of hearsay about Bant. Where does it where does it fit in today's you know sales landscape? But when when somebody's coming inbound and they're saying, hey, I want to talk to you, I think you have a lot more flexibility to say, hey, like, what's driving this initiative? Why is this important for you guys? Have you budgeted for it? Who's going to make this decision? Like, when are you trying to make this decision? And you can't do that in outbound when you're calling this person, interrupting them from whatever they're doing. And say, hey, what do you have budget for? Well, I didn't have a project until you called me, right? So it's just two very different, you know, ways to approach a, a lead and they require a different skill set. And, and because of that, you have to coach and develop process differently. So you brought it up. I want to focus in on it just for a second. You talked about Bant. Um, again, you brought it up. Where do you sit on that? Because there is, there's a whole bunch of stuff online right now. Where do you sit? Here's where I said is in outbound, we, we more talk about uh, GPCT, so goals, plans, challenges, and timing. Uh, in the inbound world, we talk more about band because, again, those people are coming to you. So there's a reason. Like people just don't pick up the phone and, and, and want to talk to you about your product blindly, right? There, there's some driving force there. There's a compelling event. So because there's a compelling event, they, they've talked about it internally and there's a plan in place and there's something that they're trying to achieve. So I'm a big fan of Bant in the, in the inbound play, right? In the outbound play, you, you first have to, you know, t 
talk to a person and establish some sort of value prop of where you could benefit their organization before you can start asking those questions. So understand what, what are your what are your goals around employee engagement? How do you actually get this feedback from your employees? Right? How do you, how do your employees communicate with you? I get really frustrated with it because um, just like with anything, right? So people also say in the marketing space, SEO is dead. And then this is dead and emails. Like they just self-prescribe or self-diagnose all these things that are dead. And people are now saying Bant is dead. To me, Bant is nothing but a framework. So yes, you know, the B stands for budget, but I don't have to ask, well, what's your budget for this? I think there was a Gartner study, uh, Cody, that I read that said something like 68% of all B2B purchases in 2015 were not budgeted for in the year that they were purchased, right? And so I, I buy that, but I don't have to ask, what's your budget for this? If I start to understand, hey, when this process or this problem starts to get solved, what does that look like inside your organization, right? And how much is that costing you? And how much would you be willing to pay to fix that? Like I'm getting to the same point of understanding what that budget is without just saying, hey, Mr. Customer, what's your budget? Yes, absolutely. And here's the, here's the things that we experience the most, right? Is that we don't start having conversations around that, start asking those questions uh, earlier in the sales process when there's when there's no hidden agenda behind them, right? And what I mean, what I mean by that is if, if, if you wait till the end of the sales process when you're trying to negotiate and they balk at the price and you then ask the question, well, what value is this going to bring your organization? Yeah, you're, you're too late. You're, you're too late and you're just in a defensive position, right? Trying to scrap your way into creating some value and it's just not going to work because your, your buyer sitting there thinking like, now you're going to try and like push this on me? Like, you got to ask those questions early and you have to understand you know, what are you going to deliver for this organization that they're going to be better off with you than without you? And that way, when you get to the negotiation and they say, hey, this just isn't in the budget, you can say, hold on, maybe I've missed something. But we discussed three calls ago how you guys had, you know, three or four employees just walk out the door and you have no idea why. And now you're in the position of having to recruit and hire and train and build them back up to a position where they're equally as productive as the people that walked out the door. And that's a lot more expensive than what you're going to pay to use our tool to help you stay in front of those issues. What did I miss along the way that now price is a concern? How do you get that level of consistency with your reps? Because I feel like we invest a lot of money or time, right? And time is money, but we invest a lot of time and money into training our, our reps to go deep into discovery and get these questions asked. But the consistency for me seems to just fall flat. Like, how, how are you training and coaching to that? It's really hard, right? Uh, you know, the, the things that we do, and, and, and I'll be you know, completely honest with you, we, we don't do this enough, right? And I, I feel like one of the biggest challenges to sales leadership is how do you get yourself out of the, the you know, meeting after meeting after meeting and, and actually say no to a meeting and go spend your time on the floor with a rep? And I think that's where one of the biggest you know, challenges to consistency exist is that you're, we're, as sales leaders in today's world, we're just not on the floor enough, right? And that's something that I'm really challenging myself and my sales leadership team with is guys like let's let's force ourselves to get out of the meetings and let's go spend time with the reps let's get on the phone and let's coach them and if you can do that consistently and you can you know have these conversations and, and remind them hey here's what we're trying to do you said this like let's try this and just have a you know a call review or a demo review and you do it time and time again the consistency gets really good it, it's when you do it sporadically or you don't do it at all and you just kind of talk about it in passing that it, it's you're not going to get adoption like if you just have a sales meeting and say hey guys let's work on this skill 
and then you do nothing to drive the accountability and the adoption of that skill, it's it's not going to get adopted, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think that that's where the consistency comes from is by continually, you know, talking about these things as a team in your one-on-ones and then actually getting on the phone and listening and working with the rep to develop the skills to do it. Because a lot of the times the reps understand, they comprehend what they need to do. But when you're on the phone and you feel like you're on the spot and you have somebody on the other end coming back at you, it's really hard to think on the spot and, and come up with the right story, the right thing to say, right? Totally with you. I talk to a lot of, of you know, both sales reps and sales leaders on this show. And then also I work with them you know, because by day I'm a sales coach and a sales trainer. But one of the things that I'm kind of interested in with what you're doing at Tiny Pulse you kind of let the SDRs run the initial 15 minute discovery call. And then you'll do sometimes a live transfer to an A. Can you talk uh, more about that? Like how did that come to be and what's the success that you're seeing with it? Something we're trying to do more of, right, is we we, we do let the the sales development reps run with the, the first interaction with the customer and we, we place a lot of responsibility on them. And we've gone back and forth and like, hey, are we looking for a deep qualification or do we just want a sales development rep to be able to start the fire? And, and leave a bulk of the conversation and discovery to the account executive, right? And, and, and we used to have tighter criteria around the qualification, but we started to get some feedback from our customers that like, hey, I just had this conversation and asked the, or answered the same questions with the person I was talking to, whoever I was talking to before I was talking to you. And now you're asking me to do it again, hmm. right? So we started to, to ease the qualification, say, hey, SDR, why don't you, you know, ease the qualification, goals, plans, challenges, timing, understand what they really want to do. What's the right next path for them? Do they want to demo? Do they want a trial? And then pass it to the AE and let him do the discovery. So once we were operating from that mindset, then we said, hey, well, we can do the life transfer now because we're not so far into the discovery that there's a lot of knowledge transfer that needs to happen. So if the sales development reps feel that they have someone on the line that is saying, hey, my CEO asked me to reach out to you guys. Um, he's His friend works with you guys and he really wants to get going. Then let's not complicate the process by asking a whole bunch of questions. Let's just get it over the account executive and see if we can't make magic happen, right? And it doesn't mean that you let discovery go out the window or you still don't go through the sales process. Let's just get it in the hands of the person who can take it to closure as quickly as possible. Okay. So you don't feel like you are, you just said it, but you don't feel like you're giving up any of the sales process there. Are you uh, maybe pitching too soon? Are you letting, are you pitching at the wrong level? Any concerns with that? We are just doing more of these. So those are excellent questions and I don't have the answers to them because we still need to digest the data a little bit more and kind of see how successful they're being. But I, I know that last month, right at the end of the month, you know, we did a live transfer and it was a good size deal for us over a uh, thousand in MRR, which is uh, above our average. And it closed in, in one call drop. Right. Um, wow. And then and then we had another one happen this month that, you know, it was a one call drop and it closed the next day. Right. So there's, you know, a lot of the, the details that I want to dive into and understand better. But just anecdotally. Uh, you know, the, the couple that we've seen come through, there, there's been some positive there. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. Anecdotally, hey, I mean, it's working. So let's let's figure out uh, what it is that, that's working about that. That's that's fascinating. Right. Interesting. So uh, what's, the, what's the next thing that you feel like you want to try with the team? Well, I'm really excited on this on the sales development side because we're just getting started on the the account-based uh, kind of sales development path. And, and this is something that, you know, we work with Sales Loft and I admire what those guys do and the tool that they're building. Um, 
and I'm really excited to work with the reps and say, hey, like let let us as sales leaders and marketing, let us worry about the value prop. Why don't you go connect and build relationships and be personal and go hunt with spears and bring people into the organization? So I'm really excited about about that play and going you know deeper and wider within an organization and really focusing our time on hey who do we think what is our firmographics who's going to buy from us in the quick amount of time that adopts our product really well that is a great product fit and let's not worry about boiling the ocean and getting everybody else. I like that. What else is it? I, I'm I'm starting to ask this question because I'm intrigued by. But what else is in your sales stack that uh, you guys are using from a technology perspective? We're not a big tools company just uh, in, in general. In the sales organization specifically, we use Salesforce, we use Salesloft. Um, we're early adopters with Costello, who I know you're, you're familiar with. Um, and those are really our three main tools. You know, we, we've had some accounts to the data.com. We've done some done in, done in Bradstreet. Um, we have some other, you know, lesser known tools that kind of help us with trying to find, you know, contact information. Um, most of the team has LinkedIn Navigator. And then that, that's that's about it. So, um, you know, I guess I say we're not a heavy tools company uh, in general, but if you probably look at most, uh, you know, startups, we probably have more than the than the average. We could spend probably 20 minutes talking about the new LinkedIn Navigator, <laughs> but I, I won't yeah. uh, I won't do that. So, hey, let's let's switch gears just just for a moment. Like so a lot of my uh, uh, listeners, one of the things they ask and, and if you've listened to the show at all, you've heard me say this, but they they want to say these are great, successful people, Jim, that you're talking to. And it's obviously why you're having them on the show. But I want to connect with them at a different level. What have they done that has not been so successful? Is there a failure story, uh, Cody, that you can talk about that has kind of impacted your career? In college, I played football collegiately for a, a small NCAA Division III school, Whitworth University. And uh, at the end of my senior year, I you know, had hopes and dreams to, to continue playing football. But being from a small school, I really didn't think there was much opportunity from me. Um, my, my dad actually played football for the University of North Carolina back in the 70s. And a guy that he played with, John Bunning, was the head coach at the University of North Carolina at the time that I was uh, finishing up at Whitworth. This was 2000, uh, 2003, 2004. So through my dad, I was able to actually attend the pro day, the NFL pro day at the University of North Carolina, uh, and John allowed me to come out there and participate. Um, it was a little, little nerve wracking. I was a little intimidated. I'm a you know small Division three guy, and now I'm going to be you know in the um, in the same room and, and doing the same tests and, and same um, you know workout that Division one athletes are doing. So what I found is that I went in there and actually competed really well, and 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 made a great name for myself and I had a sniff from from the Colts and uh, they inquired and wanted some you know film on me and uh, I was really excited about it they called me before the draft and say hey where are you going to be what's your what's your phone number want to make sure we get a hold of you uh, and then ultimately nothing comes I, I don't get drafted nothing comes in free agency and that abruptly ends my uh, football dreams but I, I represented myself really well. And that got me challenging myself. And I said, man, I, I went out there and I competed and I held my own and I was every bit as good as everybody else. What if I wouldn't have missed so many workouts? What if I wouldn't have skipped so many conditioning programs? What if I just would have committed myself for four years of collegiate football, 100% left nothing on the table? Would that have changed my odds of, of furthering my playing career? And I couldn't honestly tell myself that I did give it 100%. And, and that really, I, I failed myself. And I felt like that I had an opportunity that presented itself and I wasn't prepared to strike. And I failed myself. And that is the biggest single failure that I probably hang on to and challenge myself with daily is that 
I don't ever want to be in the position where I have to play the what if game with myself. Did I do it or did I not? Uh, I want to be able to say that I 100% gave it everything I had and success or failure, win or lose. There's no what ifs about it. I went after it with everything I had. And I hang on to that every day. Cody, I think, and I, I'm, I'm not BSing you here. I think that's one of the best stories that I've, I've had when I've asked that question. I think that there's a lot, there's a lot of windows of opportunity that do open for us in our, in our careers and in our life, but they're short and they're small and we have to take advantage of them when they're there. And, and a lot of times they are, as you said, in these limited time periods, right? You had four years to play college football, right? And when you look back on your life, it was, it was four years. You, you could have done a lot more just during that finite time window to be ready to take advantage of that. I love that story. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah, absolutely. It was a uh, it was a tough lesson to learn, but I'm glad that I know it now. Cody, we're going to take a quick break so I can say thanks to our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Cody, are you ready for the money round? Let's do it. I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I think it's three things for me. It's, you know, going back to seeking opportunity and, and, and taking the bull by the horns and letting your actions and performance speak for themselves. Uh, always learning. Never stop. Learn from everyone and everything. And, and work efficiently with the time that you have available to you. All right. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? You don't know it all, so learn, be humble, be a sponge, uh, check your ego at the door. And this one I think is, is really important, is strive to be a sales professional, not an account executive. I love that. I guarantee you're going to see that in a tweet. So here we go. Uh, which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? I thought about this one a lot because I'm, I'm competitive and I do hate to lose. But you know, where I'm at today, I love to win. There is nothing better than watching the reaction of others when they have accomplished something truly great. You know, hitting quota, right? When I worked for uh, the Active Network, they did a lot with triathlons and the Ironman, and watching somebody put in all the training to complete an Ironman, and then seeing that moment when they crossed the finish line, those are great moments, right? And the, the other one, and you can probably relate to this one, right? But I love watching my kids win, right? And I'm not talking about athletically or competitively, but when they first figure out to walk or they first learn to do the monkey bars, right? They, they, they find out like, oh, wow, I really can do this. Like those are truly great moments and they're truly inspiring. And for where I'm at today in my life, I love to win and I love to see others win. You know what? I'm a uh, hate to lose kind of guy, but literally just the way you relate that to your kids. Um, you might have convinced me to start leaning the other way because you're absolutely right. You, to, <laughs> to see them light up, it changes It changes you. It does. It really does. Yeah. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from that as adults, right? Like where, where do you, in, in your age, like where do you cross this chasm of where 
the, the joy and the fulfillment of, of achieving stuff just becomes another mundane moment, right? Like, I want to get get back to this point where, hey, like, if we do something great, like, let's let's celebrate it, right? Like, let the emotion flow. Oh, all right. I, I got to move on because you, you're going to get me emotional, man. I'm with you. I love yeah. it. I love it. Cody, what's a book uh, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? It's called When Pride Still Mattered, and it's the biography of Vince Lombardi. And it goes through his entire life, the ups, the downs, the challenges, um, you know, how determined and competitive he was. And, and I think, uh, especially for salespeople, you read that book and you learn a lot from it and you apply a lot back to your daily life as a sales professional. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Cody's suggestion of When Pride Still Mattered for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse through over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Cody, what's something that you believe that nearly no one agrees with you on? Preparation and repetition always win. I have this conversation with my sales reps and I'll say this quickly and to the point here is, is they're like, Hey, can you, can you join this call with me or can you help me make cold calls? And I want to see you do it. And I always come back to them and say, Hey, I'm happy to do those things. And I have a lot of experiences that I can draw on, but you make, a, you've made a thousand more calls pitching this product a thousand more times that I have. And, and that repetition and, and preparation matters. And you can probably do this better than I can just go believe in yourself and go do it and commit to the feedback and coaching that I can provide you. But if you're looking for me to be the best salesperson, you might be barking up the wrong tree because you have more experience pitching this product than I do. You've had more conversations than I have. And I think once reps believe that and they're like, hey, if I just prepare and I just repeat this process over and over again, I can do this and I'll be successful. There's some big takeaways there for both sales reps and sales leaders. So I hope I hope they're uh, they're paying attention to that. Uh, Cody, what's the big piece biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Right, is is hone your craft. Right, strive to be a sales professional, not an account executive. And what that means is that you can pick up your skill set and you can take it to any company, and you have the skills and you know the behaviors that you need to do to be successful. And if you can do that, you're a sales professional. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? Yeah, absolutely. So Twitter, C-E Layman's. So C-E-L-A-M-E-N-S. And on LinkedIn, Cody Layman's. Cody, I absolutely love this. Thank you so much for spending your time with me this afternoon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on board. And uh, I love Sales Tuner, so keep it rocking. This was the first time I'd had a conversation outside of email with Cody. And boy, did I enjoy it. We talked offline a bit and found that we had quite a bit in common. One of the biggest pieces of advice that I can give people is to let their guard down and allow themselves to be vulnerable. You never know where that's going to take you. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, take advantage of opportunity. There's a short window of time to take advantage of every opportunity. If you wait until an opportunity presents itself, well, it's already too late. Seek out chances to learn. Be more efficient and give 100% from the get-go so you're never in a position to wonder what might have been. Doors open on a daily basis, but oftentimes they are short and they are small. It's crucial to take advantage of them when they're there. Number two, preparation and repetition always win. You know what you need to do. You've spent time role-playing real scenarios. You've paid attention in training and during your one-on-ones. With that, don't think that your sales manager knows something you don't. You're the one facing live fire every time you get on a call. 
make sure you're taking the time to prepare and let the repetition of muscle memory take control. Number three, don't wait until the end. The earlier you ask hard questions, the better. For instance, if you wait until the negotiation stage to start discussing budget, well, you've already lost. You need to be able to tie your value to real business problems without it looking like you're just trying to close a deal. Figure out how to show your prospect they're better off with you than without you by going deep in the beginning. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay